With the cost of paid ads skyrocketing, now is a better time than ever to hone in on word of mouth marketing for your online brand. Social Snowball is an affiliate marketing platform for Shopify stores that automatically converts all of your customers into affiliates when they purchase and gives them a discount code with their name in it to share it right from the thank you page. Social Snowball also makes sending bank-to-bank commission payouts as quick and easy as two clicks, all within your dashboard. Ditch the manual and outdated affiliate softwares and say hello to an innovative solution designed specifically for the modern DTC brand owner. Start your 14-day free trial by heading to socialsnowball.io or just search Social Snowball in the Shopify app store. This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay, and we have a great guest with us today. You've probably seen him on Twitter pretty often because he's active on there all the time. Chase Diamond, who's one of the best e-commerce email marketers out there. He's also a partner at Structured and Boundless Labs. Um, but you know, Chase is really an expert in email marketing. Like I mentioned, he's on Twitter a lot. So you've probably seen his threads sharing awesome tips on how to write better emails, how to convert non-buyers, all of that really good stuff. And we're going to unpack it all in this episode. But before we go ahead and dive in, I'm going to pass the mic over to Chase. Chase, welcome to the show. If you want to give a quick little intro about yourself and uh, tell us more about all of the projects that you kind of work on as well. Sweet, man. Well, first off, thanks for having me. I kind of got into marketing by accident. So at the age of 13 years old, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And essentially, that's inflammation of your digestive tract. And I was sick for an entire year just due to lack of awareness of this disease. Kept getting misdiagnoses after misdiagnoses. So at 14 years old, I basically took it upon myself to learn guerrilla marketing to raise awareness and fundraising for this disease. From 14 to 16, basically dedicated myself to this organization. At 16, became the youngest board member, served a six-year board term. So then in college, I played college soccer. I couldn't afford to go to the school that I went to. So I had to work jobs and internships. I think I had like eight to 10 different jobs and and internships throughout college just to pay for my tuition. Um, And during college and kind of through the Crohn's, I found my love of marketing, and in particular, email marketing, basically sending one-off emails, very personalized. I ended up working with some technical folks at the companies I worked at. They taught me how to do, you know, mass email campaigns, cold email campaigns, some opt-in email campaigns. So I uh, kind of found email and marketing by accident and been doing it now for a while. And today I run an e-com email marketing agency with a couple of partners and we love what we do. So at a high level, that's kind of my journey. That's awesome. And uh, that's really cool to listen to, to all the different things that you've done. And I'm sure uh, we'll unpack a lot more later on in this episode as well. But I know people know you as the guy for e-commerce email marketing. I know you mentioned that you you kind of did some stuff in kind of guerrilla marketing at the beginning of your career. How did you really find this love for email marketing? And what were like some of those first projects that you that you worked on that really like strengthened those skills? Yeah. So like early in my career, I tested, you know, SEO and email and CRO and this, that, and the other. And what I always liked about email is the fact that it's a channel that's one to many in a way that feels very one-to-one. 
So let me give you like an example. Say you're running like a Facebook ad or you do a post on social media. You might have your mom, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friend, your coworker. All these people can engage and interact with your post. And then there's ads and there's all this stuff going on on your screen. Like your attention is everywhere. Whereas with email, if you have my email and I'm on your list or you're on my list and I send you something, obviously there's other emails in your inbox. But if I get you to open the email, it's just really me and you. And it's up to me as the marketer and the copywriter to keep your attention. So I could get your attention for one second, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, even a minute, depending on how good the copy and the design is. So I just like the fact that like email was really intimate, but in a channel in a way that was super scalable. So early in my career, I was basically building um, platforms and technology and services that brought together different communities. So I, I used email as a way to build audiences through cold email and also email as a way to nurture and convert and engage folks to buy products or services or consume more content. So one of the first things I built was an ed tech platform that connected students at college campuses to others in their classroom. So essentially what I had done is I went to college directories, found a bunch of people's emails, just shot them notes saying, you know, hey, Jay, I see we're both at so-and-so university. I uploaded some of my recent documents for, you know, the business major. If you're in business too, why don't you upload some documents? Why don't we do an in-person study guide meetup? Why don't we hang out? That type of thing. So I basically built a social network around college campuses and I scaled it through cold email, finding people's emails on college directories, as well as finding college Facebook groups and building out this operation where I was able to join hundreds and thousands of these college Facebook groups and disseminate info in these groups and was able to scale it to hundreds of thousands of college students in about six months time. So that was kind of one way in which I, I used email. Um, from there, I wanted to go build an email travel series. So much like the hustle, the skim, morning brew, I did that same type of thing for travel, where every single week we would send you a different email featuring a different destination, some really well-known places and well as places off the beaten path. And we crowdsourced tips and tricks from locals and tourists. So Jay, you know, wherever you're from, I would reach out to you and say, hey, Jay, you're from, let's say, Los Angeles, right? Um, would you mind submitting your tips and tricks for people that want to visit LA? Where to stay, where to go, what to do? So by finding people's emails on Instagram and kind of scaling that and sending hundreds of thousands and millions of emails, we were collecting tens of thousands of responses on these type forms where people were spending 10, 15, 20 minutes giving us info and videos and photos. And we ended up building like this UGC and this database that was so rich um, and so interesting. So we scaled that from zero to 500,000 uh, subscribers in 10 months. So those were some of the ways in which I used email early on. And then as like GDPR and some of these other kind of privacy things were happening, I moved from doing a little bit more cold email to strictly doing what I do today, which is all e-commerce, opt-in email marketing, all white, all above board, that type of thing. That's awesome. And so I know you share a lot of great tips on email marketing on Twitter. I mean, that's how I had found out about you. And you've done email in so many different ways. I know you talked about, you know, the stuff that you've done on travel and now you're doing e-commerce and all of those things. And I'm sure you've put together a collection of kind of like tips based off of your experiences. If you had to share with other brands that might be listening to this podcast, specifically in e-commerce, like what are some must do things for email or email marketing for e-commerce brands? Uh, what would those kind of be? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I'm looking at a, a brand new account, if I'm doing an audit, whether it's a paid audit, a free audit, doesn't matter. Or if I'm just giving feedback, there's a few things I'm looking for first. Um, one is how many campaigns per week is someone sending, right? Are they sending one campaign a week? Are they sending five campaigns a week, right? And each brand has a different sweet spot. The way in which you know how many campaigns that you can send is just literally start with one per week. 
look at all the positive engagement things. It's like the open rate, the click-through rate, the conversion, those types of things. Also look at the negative you know, rates. That's like the unsubscribe, the market spam, and the bounced. If all of those are in line with industry standards, great. Send a second email. Cool. All those look great. Send a third email. Maybe that third email for your particular brand is where that friction point is. You know, the open rates, the click-through, the conversions seem to dive, and the market spam, the unsubscribe, the bounce seem to increase. Then you know for you, probably the equilibrium most weeks is sending two campaigns per week. I think what happens too often is we're A, marketers, but B, we're also consumers. And on the consumer side, none of us want to receive three, four, five emails a week from a brand, right? So then we kind of go on to the, the marketer side and we're like, oh, we don't want to send three, four, five campaigns a week, right? And therefore, we only send one, one campaign a week or a few a month. So a lot of brands, I think, are leaving a lot of money on the table by not sending frequently enough. And by leveraging segmentation, I think that's also where people go wrong is they're not segmenting their list. They're just batching and blasting. So if they send five times per week, you know, UJ might receive all five emails. Whereas with us and our clients, you know, we send three, four, five emails a week. Not necessarily mean that one person's going to receive all three, four, five of those emails. They might receive one or two, potentially three or four, depending on the week, right? So I think those two, the segmentation, the campaigns are big ones. And then the other one is the automations, right? People think that like there are silver bullets. They just want to set it and forget it. Too often I go into a brand and they're like, yeah, we haven't updated this in you know, two or three years. And that's not how it works. So on the automation side, you want to make sure that you have a touch point at each step in the funnel. So on the pre-purchase side, you want to hit people with a welcome series for non-buyers as soon as they join or opt into your list. Uh, if you have a product that goes out of stock, line up a back in stock flow, right? Automatically send them an email when that item is back on your store. Make sure you have the different abandoned flows, the browse abandonment, the abandoned cart, the abandoned checkout. That's all the pre-purchase side, right? Making sure that at each step in the journey, you hit them with content. Then when someone buys from you, right, you want to hit them with post-purchase content. That's things like customer thank yous, you know, product information, basically educating people on how to use your product, our product review requests, you know, asking them to submit content in UGC, upsells and cross-sells, winbacks, right? So I think those are some of the things that we think about, right? Is making sure that you have enough flows and all the flows, a couple emails in each of the, the automation setup, making sure that you're sending enough campaigns per week, making sure that you're leveraging segmentation. I think the last thing I would say is making sure that you have some kind of form that's collecting emails at least five to 10%. So for every 100 cold visitors to your website, you should be collecting five to 10 people. Those are some really great tips over there and really good benchmarks to look at as well. One other benchmark I'd be curious to ask about also is, I know you mentioned uh, one of the pieces is like, you know, there are brands that haven't potentially looked at all the emails they've been sending like for the past two or three years, especially if they've been in business for a really long time. It's definitely easier to set up the emails um, than it is to probably remember to go back and, and look through all the flows that you set up and things like that. Based off of your experience, when do you recommend or how often should brands be looking through all the flows that they've set up and things like that? And how can they kind of have that structure in place so that way things don't go crazy and they end up sending customers or potential buyers potentially like 10 emails a week? Yeah, I think the big one is it depends on how much traffic you get, right? It depends on the volume. If you're a brand that, you know, only gets a couple hundred people on your website a month or a couple hundred people on your newsletter, it's going to take you longer to get some kind of statistical significance on any A-B testing or anything that you're running, right? We work with, you know, seven, eight, nine-figure brands. So these have thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even sometimes millions of people on their list. So the frequency in which we're, you know, reacting and updating and optimizing is a lot 
more often, right? So with some of these brands that have six, seven figure size lists, you know, we're changing things on like a weekly basis just because we have so much data that supports variable A versus variable B in the subject line test. Or we have so much data that says, hey, this offer is outperforming this offer, right? So we want to be quick to move just because every single day that we aren't moving on these types of things, we're missing out on, you know, optimizing the conversion. Uh, I'd say most people probably should be looking at, you know, updating and testing and some of these things probably like on a, on a monthly basis, I'd say at least once a month. Uh, again, if you're a little bit smaller, maybe it's like a quarterly basis at the bare minimum. So that's that. And then in terms of how do you actually structure this, I think you need some kind of project management system. For us, we love Notion. It's notion.so is the website. It's like a Trello, Monday, Asana, you know, so on and so forth. We're logging when we're updating things and which is working. We're kind of using it as like a repository. That way we can know for this brand versus that brand, you know, how do people respond to emojis? How do people respond to all caps? How do they respond to this offer versus that offer? How are they interacting with plain text emails versus beautifully designed emails? So we work with so many clients that we'd have no way to remember that other than recording and logging it. And even for people that only have their own brand or only work with a few brands, there's so much stuff going on. There's so much noise that you have to log these things, even if they're just bullet points or screenshots. That way you can figure out what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'll ask a follow-up question too, and I'm sure this probably depends on your audience size as well, because I know you hinted about having enough data to be able to test things. But for logging that information, how often should you be logging that? Um, Obviously, you know, open rates, I'm sure, uh, especially if you send an email and then you're tracking that over the course of a day, that's going to definitely change over time. Um, So how often should you be logging that information so that way you have it to look at and analyze down the line? Yeah, for us with our clients, we do weekly reporting. So every single week we submit reports on opens, click-throughs, conversions, this, that, and the other. But again, I think it depends on if you're a brand that's listening to this and you're not an agency and it's just you and your team, you know, maybe you could do reporting like bi-weekly or, or, or monthly. But I think weekly is kind of a nice cadence, especially as you go from like a small to medium to large size business, just because things change so often. And, and, and a week is a good amount of time. And to your point, I think a day, 24 hours is too volatile. Too many things can kind of change and happen. But I think a week is pretty nice. That's awesome. That's a really great tip. And I know... Uh, I think one of your tweets that you just recently put out uh, was talking about how structuring and putting in processes and systems in place for reaching certain like revenue milestones and things like that. So that totally makes sense over there. Are you interested in DTC and e-commerce content? Join Trends exclusive community for everything DTC, the DTCers community. We're talking marketing, product, growth, and more all about DTC. Go to trend.io slash podcast. That's T-R-E-N-D dot I-O slash podcast and look for the Slack community link to claim your invite. We hope to see you on there. Let's talk a little bit too about uh, something that I found interesting and I might totally be uh, out in left field on this, but I recently read one of your tweets talking about iOS 15 and being ready on the email side of things. You know, I know a lot of e-commerce stores have kind of been figuring things out with the iOS updates and iOS 15 is coming out soon. How will the new iOS update kind of affect email marketing for brands? Um, And how can brands prepare their email marketing campaigns to prep for if there are any sort of disruptions related to email and even potentially like acquisition and retention? Yeah, that's a great question. So 
at this point, it's been a couple of weeks, but I did a roundtable with some of like the ESP CEOs and execs, and it was pretty interesting. One of the questions I actually asked them is, you know, the, everyone's favorite question is email marketing dead, right? And all six of them, whether they're they're biased or they're being paid to say this, they all said email marketing is not dead, right? Email marketing is just evolving, right? So I think I'm a little bit biased too when I say it's not dead and it's just going to evolve, although I think that also is factual. So that's kind of like the consensus from the industry is, you know, look, it's a bump in the road. It's unfortunate that we're losing opens, but it's not the end of the world. It's more of just a bummer. And each of the folks on the, the panel actually kind of gave an interesting tidbit or tip on like how to start planning and navigating. Um, but I think really like I can summarize a lot of it as like you really have to focus on kind of like true business metrics, uh, things like clicks, uh, revenue per recipient, um, you know, people that are responding to your emails, people that are active on your website and really taking like a full funnel kind of hyper personalized approach more than just specifically emails and looking at things like cohort data and, and whatnot. So it's really important, I think, for a lot of this to like double down on people that are visiting your website, people that are buying from you, people that are clicking and trying to get people to respond and engage in which, you know, it's above and beyond the open. The open is nice, but that's just kind of the most basic form of engagement, right? The people that actually click, the people that reply, the people that forward, the people that visit your website, the people that purchase, those are the folks that you really have to kind of nurture and pay attention to. So I guess kind of the big thing right now is in a pre kind of iOS 15 world is doubling down on sending as many campaigns as you can, learning as much about your audience as possible, trying to figure out what type of content gets them to click. Because right now the metric that we have that's going to be going away is the whole open rate through click through, right? So for example, open rates are going to disappear. So we're only going to be able to see click through. But the nice thing that we have right now is of the people that open, how many people click through. So if you look at your ESP, say for example, Clavio, right now and you send to 100 people just to keep the math easy, say 20 of them open and two of them click, right? So if 20 of them open, that means you have a 20% open rate. And if two of them click, that means technically the, the metrics you're going to see is a 2% click through. But when you actually look at the people that open versus clicked, that's closer to 10%, right? Two into 20, if that makes sense, if you're following that math. So that's one of the things that you have to take advantage of right now is while we have the open rates, looking at not just the number of people that opened, but how many people that opened actually clicked and doing everything that you can to move that percentage as high as you can. And the way in which you do that is a couple of things. It's the design of your email, whether that's just plain text or actually having something that's beautifully designed. What works better for your particular demo? You know, the younger the demo, the more kind of graphics and GIFs and animation seem to convert. Whereas the older the demo, the more plain text seems to convert and you have to have larger size fonts. So we literally at our agency have like three or four different kind of customer types where it's like the super young one, millennials, and then our parents and then our grandparents. And we kind of break down like what each of those people want to see and how they're going to be engaging. So, you know, our parents and our grandparents, they're typically opening on, you know, desktop or some kind of iPad or tablet, right? So we want it to be really big, really easy to read. We want to optimize for desktop and tablet. Obviously, we want to make sure it's mobile optimized as well, but it's not as important for that demo. Whereas for the mobile or kind of for the millennial demic, uh, mobile is so important, right? For our age and younger, uh, mobile is everything, right? Making sure that we're curating, driving experiences, those types of things. So I think it's understanding your audience through testing as much as possible right now. It's going to be key for those who are going to have all the data to hopefully win in a post iOS 15 world. Yeah, those are some really great tips over there, um, especially talking about how you can kind of benchmark. And I love how you know you, you are so focused on the data over there, which is really great. Uh, one thing that you mentioned um, that I'd love to kind of uh, talk about a little bit more in detail is about 
plain text emails versus well-designed emails. There's definitely people that pull in both directions. So thinking about that, what are some ways that you can kind of find out uh, what are the best approaches to there? Do you have a personal preference? And then the, the other thing I'd ask about too is for like brands that are doing fancy design emails, how do you make sure that you also don't end up in like a spam box? <laughs> yeah, man, I think the debate on like plain text versus beautifully designed emails is like a crazy one. I, I don't know how people are so bullish on their own camp and everyone's like 100% like you have to use plain text or 100% you have to design and like, I think that's wrong, right? I, I think there's a group in the middle where you can and you should be doing both. So I think there are times and places where plain text makes more sense. I think there's times and places where designed emails make more sense. So for example, I'll give you a couple of use cases. Say you're sending a campaign when a campaign is a one-time send to a group of people, right? Think about a product launch or a holiday offer. For product launches, having something that's visual is really important. Showing people, you know, lifestyle and product photography of, of what kind of you've launched, I think within the email is a really great way to drive that click. Obviously, you don't want to give them everything because you want to draw their interest, you know, to the landing page and to the website, but giving them enough that, you know, intrigues them and shows them it, I think is super important. On the flip side, right? So say, for example, Jay, I purchased from your company today, right? You'll want to send me a customer thank you email either today or tomorrow. And I think that's a really great candidate for a plain text email. You know, hey, Chase, you know, Jay here from so-and-so company. You know, thank you so much for your purchase today. Thank you so much for your purchase yesterday, whatever it is. You know, it means a lot to us. Here's some information that's important for you while you wait. Here's how to use our product. Here's some popular tips and tricks. Here are what other people have to say. You know, thank you so much. You know, signed off Jay, right? Like that's a really great candidate for a plain text email. And then there's a lot of other emails that you just flat out have to test because, you know, uh, a holiday offer, an all plain text might be better than a designed email or as having a cool GIF or cool animation within a holiday email might perform better. So it really just depends. It's hard to say, you know, which is going to work better unless you try. And obviously you need some significance in your data. We like to see at least a couple thousand people interacting with each variation, obviously, if you don't have that many people on your list, do the best that you can. A couple hundred people will suffice. So that's that piece, right? You asked about kind of the, the spam and all that. You know, I think plain text, designed emails, those are important, obviously, to some degree where you land, but those aren't the most important. You know, sending to engage segment, uh, your, your domain reputation, kind of your reputation on Klaviyo, MailChimp, Drip, all the platforms is really important. And having just content that people want is really important. So I think there are a lot of variables. I don't think just because you have an image, you're going to be in spam or just because you have plain text, you're going to be in the inbox. Although those are important things to wait and kind of keep in mind. Yeah. And thanks for kind of uh, diving into that a little bit deeper over there and sharing your thoughts on that. So, you know, I know we've talked a lot about email and some really good email tips. I know you recently just released a guide that you're selling that's on welcome series, pop-ups, all of that good stuff on kind of like the the acquisition for for list building and and all of that good stuff. Um, if you can share at least uh, just a, a little bit of some of the interesting takeaways that you've kind of learned over there from building um, that collection of resources, that would be great. Yeah. So in terms of like email collection, for example, a lot of people are trying to collect phone number and, and email. And through our testing, through some of the data that I've seen from some of the providers, the order in which you ask for a phone number or email actually matters. So when we've asked for phone number first, email second, it's performed a lot worse than if we asked for email first, phone number second, right? So the order in which you ask for 
the data actually matters. And that was kind of interesting to me, right? Like you wouldn't think initially that that would actually have a pretty decent conversion uptick or downtick, but it actually did. So I guess to round that out, making sure that you're asking for email first, but number second, you know, email, you know, everyone's used to giving their email, right? It's less intimate, it's less personal. Obviously it still is a very personal, intimate channel, but giving you someone's phone number to you is a little bit more personal and kind of protective. So if you get them to take that first step of giving their email, hopefully they'll give you their phone number next because they've already taken, you know, one st- step in the funnel. So that's that's really important, you know, and then having different types of forms depending on the traffic or the, the device. So for example, you know, having a pop-up on desktop and kind of a fly-out on mobile is really important. I kind of go into details about that and, and, and why those are important. And then I just show a bunch of examples on like, this is a good form and this is how it's converting and here's the behavior. You know, this particular form is on exit intent and it says, hey, you know, before you go, enter your email to be entered into a monthly giveaway or before you go, here's this free shipping offer, right? So testing, you know, immediate time delay, few seconds based off a of page scroll, exit intent, those are all really important things to test when you're trying to figure out the right behavior. You now you also want to test like the different images, uh, a product image, a lifestyle image, an image of a guy, an image of a girl, an image of a family, right? Um, and the copy that the offer. There's so many different things that go into a great pop-up or a great form that most people don't think about. Yeah, that that totally makes a lot of sense over there. And I didn't know about the the email and SMS thing um, as well, which is a great insight. Talking about that specifically, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of brands are really excited to be using SMS as a way to kind of communicate with their customers in a really intimate way. Um, obviously, like, you know, I think most of us would probably say that the people that we probably text are usually just our friends, not not really brands. Um but talking about getting customers and potential buyers to give away a phone number, if you are collecting that email first, what are some effective ways to kind of ask people to give up that phone number as well and kind of ask for that? Yeah, the way that most people and most brands are doing it is it's kind of a part of like the the offer flow where, hey, to get this discount, you know, you need to enter your email and phone number. So the way that brands are doing it is almost like pairing the two, you know, together where it's, hey, enter your email first, phone number second, and we're going to text you the the code, right? Or we're going to text and email you the code or something. So the way that brands are doing it, I don't want to say it's sly because I don't think it's anything wrong, but it it's kind of interesting that we're just almost like assume that you have to give your phone number and email to get the, the offer or the code. Yeah. And so I know we're coming towards the end of the podcast over here. One of the other questions that I definitely want to cover over here and answer is you've talked a lot to you on your Twitter account about having the right flows for non-buyers um, and converting those non-buyers into buyers. I think, you know, the way a lot of brands still think today, and obviously some of that is changing with some of the changes that have happened with like iOS 14 and Facebook ads, but typically a lot of brands when they're looking for converting and acquiring new customers, they're looking the paid route. And I know you have some really good thoughts on on email as being a, a way to convert non-buyers. What are some of tips that you can kind of offer there um, to get brands thinking about, hey, email is also a really powerful way to convert those non-buyers and potentially like target and, and talk to those people also? Yeah, I think the most obvious one, and I'll start here and we can go deeper if you want, is kind of starting with the welcome series for non-buyers, right? So you have some kind of pop-up, fly-out, some kind of embedded form. People enter their email in exchange for 
an ebook, entrance into a giveaway, free shipping, $10 off, 10% off, you know, et cetera. So the first few emails that you actually send your subscribers after they join your list are honestly some of the most important messages that you're going to send them ever, right? These emails are all about getting people accustomed to kind of engaging with your brand, and they're going to set the tone of your entire relationship with these subscribers. So typically, we'll go into like a four-part email sequence. And at any point in the funnel, if people convert, they get moved from the pre-purchase into a post-purchase flow. But I'll kind of go through it at just a high level like the four. So the first one, quite simply, is just like a welcome, thank you, and delivering the discount code or whatever the offer was, if it's applicable. If there's no offer, obviously, you don't say anything there. The next email is all about like the brand story, any kind of unique quality standards of your brand, and really like the benefits of shopping with you over your competitors. So email two is all about addressing like what's in it for me as the consumer? Like, why should I care? Why do you guys matter? How are you different? Uh, The next email from there is all about social proof and popular products. So social proof typically comes in the form of press mentions, customer reviews, celebrity or influencer endorsements, the number of retail stores that you're in, so on and so forth. And then displaying any of your best or your best sellers is important as well to help guide people towards the products that other people love as well. And then lastly, it's really focusing on like the community element. So at this point, they haven't converted. They're probably about a week in. Um, They still haven't bought from you. Getting them to have them kind of follow you on Instagram, like your Facebook page, join your Facebook group, even something as simple as like hit reply to this email and ask us a question. So those kind of are four emails that we leverage to hopefully get people at least having enough trust and hopefully, you know, the best case is buying from us. Yeah. And I love how you outlined that over there. A lot of actionable tips for people that are listening in to work on if they haven't yet. Chase, it's been super awesome having you on the podcast over here talking all about email marketing. I mean, just tons and tons of great advice over here. I know I learned a lot. I I know our listeners did as well. Before we kind of sign off over here, I want to pass the mic over to you one last time. What's next for you? What other things are you working on? Uh, what else do you want to share with us? And uh, where can people connect and learn more about you? Yeah, and thank you for having me. I think for people that want to learn more, follow me on Twitter, daily tips and tricks on email and agency life. Uh, my handle is Ecom Chase Diamond, no A in Diamond. And then I guess the big thing I want to plug is in Q4, I'm hosting a virtual Black Friday Cyber Monday Summit. It's going to be completely free to join. About 25,000 people attend We'll probably have about 40 to 50 speakers. So that'll be a free event October 4th through the 6th where people can come sign up for free and learn a ton about uh, Q4 and Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks so much, Chase. And I'm going to track you down for that link for that event. So that way we can put it in the show notes for all the listeners that are out there. But Chase, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Just uh, an awesome episode getting to chat with you. Um, If you enjoyed this episode of the DTC pod, please leave a rating and subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you next time. Thanks for coming on, Chase. Thank you.